My name is John Thomas and it is my privilege in the next couple of weeks to bring the Word of God to you and we're going to enter into a series on the book of Nehemiah. Now, we're not going to go through the whole book, but I'm going to be taking some chapters and we're going to be learning some lessons from the book of Nehemiah. It's a wonderful book. It's a book I, I love and appreciate and um, I know it's often used as sort of lessons for leadership. I I'm going to be taking a different angle from that, and I'll share that with you in just a moment. In the book of Nehemiah, there are some great spiritual truths which are valid for all time. And there's some application for us as Connect Church at this time. Now, I know that uh, anyone preaching over the next month or so, uh, it's very easy to attribute, was he saying something about the issue in the church or wasn't he? And I, I will tell you when I am going to apply the situation into the, the church's uh, issue. So um, for the most part, sit back and let God minister to you and don't try and figure out whether it is or whether it isn't. Or, oh, that was good for him. No, no, it's good for you to be uh, open to what the Spirit of God would have to say to you today. And so the book of Nehemiah is a book about working together. And one of the great needs of the church and God's people is to work together with God and to work with each other. And that's what this book is all about. Let me give you some background to the book. Uh, the nation of Judah have, has gone into exile around 580 years before Christ. And 70 years later, that exile is basically over. Um, Babylon took them into exile. That is present-day Iraq took them into exile. And basically 50 years into the exile, Persia or present-day Iran beat present-day Iraq or Babylon. And uh, suddenly the Persians found, you know what, we're sitting with a couple of colonies or states that we really don't want. And we've got a whole bunch of uh, Jewish folk in our midst. And we're not sure that we really are interested in this whole lot. So they said to the folk from Judah, you can go home. But many stayed because they settled down into a comfortable existence. And one of those families that obviously stayed was the family of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born in captivity, we think somewhere around the year um, 450. It's, and now when we pick up the story, 130 years have passed since the exile. And by this time, Nehemiah is in a really good position. And I have got two very brief, two points for you today. The first is very brief. The second is very long. Uh, the first point is about Nehemiah the man. Nehemiah the man. And turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1 as we read together the first verses there. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, 
Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And then we go down to uh, verse 11 where it says at the end of verse 11, I was cup bearer to the king. So here we have Nehemiah, Nehemiah the man, who was an important government official. That's the first point. Nehemiah was an important government official. In fact, he was very senior in uh, the civil service. A cup bearer to the king, basically we would call him like a personal assistant to the king today. And uh, there he is in the senior position of prominence in Persia, in the Iranian government service. And Anani, uh, a fellow Jew, comes to him and says, man, Jerusalem is in trouble. And what did Nehemiah do with this? He got down and prayed. And that's the next point about Nehemiah the man. Nehemiah prayed. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And in a moment, we're going to look at this whole prayer together. But Nehemiah was a prayer warrior, an important government official, a prayer warrior. But I want to uh, look as well at Nehemiah's name. Nehemiah's name. It's an interesting name. Nehemiah comes from two Hebrew words, Nechem, Yah. Some might even recognize that Yah, short for Yahweh or God. Nechem in the Hebrew means comforter or consoler. And so what have we got here is God the comforter, God the consoler. That's what his name means. Now, do you remember what Jesus called the Holy Spirit? He called the Holy Spirit the counselor, the comforter. In John 16 verse 7, he says, But I tell you the truth, it is not good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. The Holy Spirit will not come to you. The counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is the counselor. Nehemiah, God the counselor. Now, I'm not attributing any Godhead position to Nehemiah. Rather, Nehemiah is a picture for us in the Old Testament of how the Holy Spirit works in the New Testament and in our lives today. He's what we as theologians will call a type of the Holy Spirit. He just is a wonderful way of seeing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at this book, we're going to see some of these incredible pictures of the Holy Spirit and his ministry demonstrated through the man Nehemiah. So that's the first point. I told you it was short. Nehemiah the man. But now the longer point. Nehemiah's wonderful prayer pattern. Nehemiah's wonderful prayer pattern. Prayer and praying people is the greatest need of our lives and of our church and of our country. We need prayer warriors. We need people who know how to pray. And Nehemiah 
gives us a great model here. We're actually going to see seven um, important principles in prayer in just a moment. Seven important facets of prayer that we should all incorporate into our lives. But I want to say, Connect Church, this next month needs lots of prayer. As a church, we're trusting God for Him to bring great unity within the body and to deal with issues that have caused pain. And so I know that the elders are calling the church to prayer. And this passage says, Church, connect church, we must pray like we've never prayed before that the Holy Spirit would bring unity in the church. So I challenge you to get involved in these prayer times in the coming days. Now let's look at these important principles. The first one we're going to see is that of worship. We're in Nehemiah 1 verse 5. Nehemiah 1 verse 5. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his command. O Lord, God, God of heaven. What's that? Worship. Great God, Lord, you're awesome. You keep your covenant. You're a covenant-keeping God. You're a loving God. What does he, Nehemiah do? Does he rush into the presence of God with a shopping list? Not at all. He's filled with awe and wonder and praise of the great and awesome God. Is he sad? Yeah. He's just heard heartbreaking news of the trouble and disgrace that Jerusalem, the city, and the people of Jerusalem are in. And, and he's broken about that. But that brokenness does not stop him from worshipping God and focusing his attention away from the immediate problems. It's always a good principle. Focus our attention on God. Worship him. Don't rush in and say, Lord, just fix this for me. Amen. Come into the presence of God in worship. In praise, oh Lord, oh Yahweh, oh great God of heaven, great and awesome God, covenant-keeping God, loving God. Lord, you're going to keep your promises. Lord, you're wonderful. That's the first important aspect of any prayer life, first important principle for us, that of worship. The next is intercession. Intercession. Look at verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. Now listen to this next word. For your servants, the people of Israel. Notice that word for. Lord, let your ear be attentive for your servants, the people of Israel. It's interesting when he says, let your ear be attentive. Again, in the original Hebrew, this is a strong plea. It's in plea language. It's a, I, I never want to put it in a begging terminology, but it's that strong. It's almost like, Lord, I 
plead with you. I come before you. We're begging you, God, on behalf of others. And so he comes in in intercession. Plead, Lord, listen to me. Lord, look at us. Look, listen, Lord. Hear my prayer. Lord, I'm not praying for my good. I'm praying for the good of your people. Lord, I'm not praying for me. I'm praying on behalf of your people. I'm praying on behalf of your children. Now, remember his name. What does his name mean? Nehemiah, God the Counselor. God the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Remember, he's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does. Romans 8 verse 26 tells us this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself, watch this word, intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Intercession. We learn that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? When you just don't know what to do, when you want to pull your hair out over some problem in the family or somewhere else, you know what? You can pray a groan prayer. Oh, Lord. And the Holy Spirit takes that and intercedes and says, Oh, Lord, John's in a, a tight spot. Minister to him, we pray in Jesus' name. And that's what Nehemiah does right here. Nehemiah, the type of Holy Spirit, intercedes on behalf of his people. And that's intercession. Petitions are asking for a request. Intercession is praying on behalf of others. Connect church. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to pray for this church at this time on behalf of others. And I want you in the next week seriously uh, to pray on behalf of others. Um, I have been asked to help mediate in this situation. I can't solve the problems, but I know someone who can. And you pray that the Holy Spirit will help and guide and minister through this process. Connect Church, you need to be praying on behalf of others. Intercession. First important principle of prayer, worship. Second important principle of prayer, intercession. Third one coming up, confession. Nehemiah 1 verse 6. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. Lord, we are sinners. Not they are sinners. Lord, we, all of us, including myself, my father's house, um, the people of 500 years ago, I confess, Lord, that we as a nation, as a people of God, have turned away from your ways. It's not just a sort of an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a heartfelt confession. You know, I know people who will say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. But to confess it, that's another story. <clears throat> Nehemiah doesn't say, I confess the sins of the Israelites. No, no. He says, I confess the sins 
we Israelites, myself included, my father's house. He doesn't exempt himself. And my friend, listen to me. If you are serious in prayer and about relationships, confession of sin is necessary. 1 John 1 verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Don't be too proud to confess your sin. It's good for you, and it's a very important principle in forgiveness. Let me say this. Jesus, uh, the word of God, sorry, says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, they will be forgiven. Now, ultimately, Jesus gave us forgiveness on the cross. But confession and forgiveness go together. You can't have forgiveness without confession. And I want to urge you, and again, here's a principle we can apply as a church at this time. In personal conflict within the family, in even personal addiction, in church life, confession of sin is part of healing. I'll say that again. Confession, forgiveness, and healing all go together. Confession of sin helps us to move forward and to put the past behind us. It's a critically important part of forgiveness and reconciliation. My friend, don't cover up your sin. Don't be too proud to say, I confess I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. My, my approach was wrong. Don't try to cover it up. Don't have, I confess this was wrong, but. No, no, no buts. I confess it was wrong. Lord, I confess I have wronged against you. We have wronged against you. Don't excuse it. Confess it. That was a the third important principle. Firstly, worship. Secondly, intercession. Thirdly, confession. Fourthly, the next principle. Great one. Reminding God of his promises. Reminding God of his promises. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Nehemiah 1. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I love the word he starts verse 8 with. Remember, remember Lord your instructions. And here's the critical thing. What is he doing? He's reminding God of his promise. He's saying, Lord, I remember back in Leviticus 26, 38 to 42, that's what he's basically quoting here, that you said, Lord, that if we uh, return to you, you'll take us back from the exiled land. And that's what happens here. 
Nehemiah reminds God of his Leviticus 26, 38 promise. And he says, Lord, I'm taking hold of this promise. You said it. Now you do it. Lord, you said you would return your people. You said you would bring us back to the land. Now do it, Lord. Lord, you promised to remember it. And I want to say, reminding God of any promise he's given you. And I don't mean some... um, Light-hearted word, I mean some specific scripture that you know God has spoken to your life through. I want to say to you, if God has put something in your heart as a promise for your family, uh, your future, your work life, your relational life, and very importantly, for the life of Connect Church. I know God has a great future for this church. I can see it to be an incredibly powerful influence in the communities in which it serves, in which there are so many privileged people. Wow, what a church. And I believe God has great plans for this church. Amen. God has given promises. Rely on those promises and come back to them and say, God, we remind you of the promises. Lord, you have great things for us. So don't just see things from a human perspective. This is the moment of time to grab onto the word God has given and promises that he has given and remind God of his promises. What great principles in prayer. Worship, intercession, confession, reminding God of his promises and now handing it over to God. That's the next important point. Verse 10, handing it over to God. That's the principle here. They are your servants and your people who you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Having reminded God of his promise, now he applies the word directly to the situation. He says, now, Lord, you promised that you would deliver your people from this land and you would resettle us back in the land of Israel. Now, Lord, they, these are your people right now. And I come to you, Lord, very boldly to ask you to fulfill your word. You see, what does he do? He throws the matter into God's hands. He says, Lord, it's out of my hands now. It's not that I'm giving up. I'm going to be part of the solution. But I'm not going to obsess about it. I'm not going to allow this um, to, to worry because it's in your good hands. It's tight in your hands. And so, Lord, I'm handing it over. It's yours to respond to. And my friend, once you've trusted God for a miracle in your life or a breakthrough, then leave it with God. It's a very important principle. Sometimes we say, okay, God, hand it over. But then we we just allow ourselves to be caught up in anxiety. I want to tell you many things in life are beyond us to sort out, but not beyond God. Hand the matter over. Leave it in God. Remind God of his promise. Let God do his work. I know their problems, but let's hand them over to God. (laughs) He is able more than we can imagine. Handing it over to God. The next principle is coming in humility. Coming in humility. Look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. O Lord, hear me. 
hear my cry. Lord, I'm only your servant. He doesn't come with this bullshit attitude. Hey, Lord, you know, I happen to be very senior in life and politics and uh, in, in I've done well in life. I'm top of the Persian Empire almost. I'm, I'm right second to the king. So, you know, God, you need to listen to me. I'm important. No, 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 not at all. He comes humbly. He's exercised boldness and faith. That's different. But the humility, no cheek, Lord, hear me. My friend, God doesn't take a, a proud heart in prayer. You remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 18, verse 10, of the Pharisee and the tax collector in prayer. Great illustration of this Pharisee who had everything right, technically, and ticking all the boxes of so-called religion. And he stood there, oh Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy. Now, the tax collector was really the mean sinner of the day because they were corrupt and took money anyhow, anyway. And, but the tax collector comes humbly before God and says, oh God, be merciful to me. That's the humility we're looking for. Now, let me tell you, I have learned through life's lessons that there are two important keys for relational issues that are embedded in this prayer. And that is confession and humility. It's a great key in fixing relationships. A humble approach and an approach of confession. Listen, church, God breaks through when we're humble. And when we're in a confessing spirit. I don't know what's going on in your home. I don't know what's going on in your workplace, in the school place. But I do know that in the home and in this church, two great keys to fixing relationship. Truthful, open unshackled confession and great humility. Man, those are breakthrough moments. And they break through moments in prayer. And the final principle uh, today is that of bringing petition. Bringing petition. It's right at the end of his prayer, verse 11, where he absolutely actually slips his prayer request in. Oh Lord, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, most of us sort of get straight to the seventh principle of bringing his petition. Lord, just give me success today and give me favor, Lord, today. Not so with Nehemiah. He has gone through all of this, this time of, of worship and intercession and confession and reminding God of his promises and handing it over and coming in humility. And now he slips his prayer request in. Give me access to the king today. Lord, that's what I've been praying about. How different are our prayers, guys? Don't you see it? There's no gimme here, Lord. It's not like God is some sort of automatic prayer vending machine. Pop the request in and God has to spew out an instant answer. That's not our Nehemiah prayer. In the right spirit, he comes to God. And then in one sentence, lays the need before God. 
You see what Nehemiah is? He teaches us how to pray. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He has a pattern, a Holy Spirit type pattern for you and I to build our prayer life around at any time. Do you think God heard this prayer? Oh, yes, he did. Did God answer the prayer immediately? No. And that often tests the reality and desire of our prayer. Delay is one of those things we'll find out in heaven why. My friend, God did answer this prayer. Let me not mislead you. But it wasn't boom like that. As we'll see in the next coming weeks, it was a mighty way in this prayer was answered. May God teach us how to pray. May God teach us how to worship him, to intercede, to confess, to be bold in reminding God of his promises, but to be humble and then to present our requests. Connect Church, it's time. It's time to pray. God calls you to pray. I was thinking yesterday, imagine if we spent the same amount of time talking to God about the problems that we do in talking to people about the problems. Can you imagine it? Um, We're very easily quick to talk to our friends and offload on them. But wow, if we talk to God like that, in the same measure that we talk to man about the problems, they get sorted out. And so, church, I urge you to be part of the prayer solution. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah, a beautiful picture for us of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that by This pattern you've given us, we can learn so much. And I pray, Lord, as a church, as we launch out into prayer, that you would mightily come and show your power, Lord. Reveal yourself and be present with us in a wonderful way, I ask it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.